the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. If you would like, if you've got a pew Bible near you, if you turn to page 1077, well, I'll tell you why a little bit. But first, what I have for you is a pop quiz um, on the gospel account that we read this morning. Pop quiz, if you can, just one question. Um, what's the name of the uh, blind person in the gospel account? Anybody? Okay, wrong. But thanks for playing. Um, and we have a parting gift for you. Um, and I'm just, this has got to be a trick question. It's not, but bear with me. Um, I'll tell you why that's not the right answer. Um, there is somebody very blind in our gospel account. And I, I'd extend it to say that um, I'm one of those blind people. I have a deep blindness in me, as St. Augustine said, of, of the idea and the concept of sin, which, you know, is laughable today, and everybody thinks you're an idiot, you know, you're backwards, whatever. Um, we've long left that, you know, away. But um, sin, according to St. Augustine, and he got it from Scripture, is, is being curved in on yourself. In other words, so you're so self, people who are so, hum, human beings, we're so self-absorbed, um, in our world, that we, we, we are so full of ourselves that we are blind to others, we're blind to God. Uh, we don't hear him um, because we're always hearing us and, and we're trying to, to do for ourselves first. Um, uh, children, uh, if, if you've been a parent, you understand this, babies are born this way, they're, they're the center of the universe and they have to be parented into realizing when they can that they're not the center of the universe. And that's a big struggle, and it's painful for parents. You're going through it. Many of you are going through it right now. I get it. Um, but I'm deeply blind because, see, I can, um, and it's even worse maybe for somebody in my position because I can say things and I can wear collars and I can make pronouncements, all this kind of stuff, and it's deceptive because you might think, well, you know, somebody, there's somebody that, uh, you know, He's not blind at all, and, I, and you'd, be told, you'd be so wrong, so wrong. Um, we're in a bad state. We have deep blindness. All of us do, every one of us in this room. But there is deep sight available, okay? Deep sight available. And I want to talk about how to get it, okay? Deep blindness, deep sight, how to get it. First, deep blindness. Look no further than our gospel account. The crowd is deeply blind. What do I mean? Huge crowds are surging. They want to follow Jesus. They've heard that he's the Messiah. Uh, the disciples are following in the train. There's great excitement. He's leaving Jericho. He's on the way to Jerusalem. Take that last 16 or so miles up the hill towards Jerusalem. They've heard he's Messiah, and they've all been raised on their mother's knee about who the Messiah is and what he's like when he comes. What this means, and word is spreading, that very soon swords are going to be drawn, the Roman soldiers and their leaders are going to be beaten down, crushed in a rebellion, and there's going to be a new king put on the throne of Israel. And this Jesus even claims to be that king. So he's on the road and everybody's excited, but you understand that they're very blind because they don't realize what he's going to do. And it's, it's pretty amazing if you look at the gospel account because three times he has turned to his disciples, three times, 
has told him, all of them, what is really going to happen. He says, the son of man. And when he says that, it's his favorite name for himself. That means the pre-existent, equal with God being who is coming at the end of time to make all things right and to judge the world. And that's the name he had for himself. He says, the son of man is going to be handed over to sinners. He is going to be beaten. He's going to be spat upon. He's going to be mocked. He's going to be killed. And the third day, he's going to rise. He's told them this three times. But do they really see or hear what's going on? No. Now, do you want proof of what I just said? That's why I want you to turn to page 1077, because if you would just look at the section right before this healing of the blind man, Bartimaeus, it's very instructive. Whenever you're doing Bible study, please, please, it, please don't. It's not, it's not so helpful to, to just zip down on one thing in one line. It's very important to read what comes before and what comes after. Just a little uh, hint. It's, it's a great help. But what comes right before is the disciples, James and John, in particular, are on the way with Jesus on this road. And they have an idea of what's coming. They come up to Jesus and they make a real crucial move, really crucial bad move. Don't make this move. They come up to Jesus and say, we want you to do exactly what we tell you to. I mean, are you kidding me? Um, if I was Jesus, <laughs> well, if I was Jesus, everything would be different. But um, if I was Jesus, I would say, are you kidding me? Excuse me? I would send them off. Maybe I wouldn't say a word to them. Maybe I'd, I'd dress them down. I don't know. But Jesus has infinite patience. And he has room to, to, to listen, no matter how stupid or blind or silly whoever comes to him is. So he stops and says, what, what would you like me to do for you? And he wants to know. And James and John say, say, well, we want to be on your right and your left when you enter your kingdom. They're blind. You know what they're imagining. They imagine in a couple of days that Jesus will be on the throne, a new government is inaugurated, and they are prime ministers. Because in the ancient uh, Near East, if you sat on the right and left hand of the person in power, you were the prime minister. And so they're expecting a great job promotion with pay. And Jesus takes them seriously, even though he knows what they don't. He sees what they don't. He says, you really think you're able to do this? And they said, oh, yeah, oh, <laughs> from birth, we have been waiting for this moment. Yeah, we're ready. And Jesus says, well, I'll tell you honestly, and I have to tell you, um, those places have already been taken. Um, they won't be yours. But keep following. Let's go. They're totally blind. And they think they see. So we've narrowed it down. The crowd is blind. Unfortunately, the disciples at this time are blind. And now we get to this beggar. It's very important to understand how customs work and religious customs work in the ancient Near East. I know not all of you know this. It's fine. I mean, that's why we do study and all this kind of stuff. That's why we do our homework. It turns out that this blind beggar served a very ter terrible purpose. You might see this as maybe you and I today driving by, say, Chick-fil-A or some other place, and you see somebody with a sign, you know, maybe it's at Magnolia Mall, and you think, well, you know, this guy's like that, and, you know, we can be kind to this person and move on, but, you know, there needs to be something happening. And there is are great things, even in... Uh, this community, House of Hope, who we support. All kinds of good things going on to uh, try to address the situation. It's a tough situation. 
But folks, if you think this Bartimaeus like that, you're missing something. I need to fill it in for you. He served an even worse purpose than you can imagine. And it was, of all things, a religious purpose. What do I mean? The crowd saw this blind man as an it, okay? As a means to an end. And what kind of end am I talking about? Well, in those days, and here's a big problem, folks. You've got to underline this. It's not true religion that's the problem even in our day. I know people more and more are fleeing from churches and religion saying it's, it's, it's uh, fosters violence and things like that. I, I hear all that. But it's not true religion, the religion revealed by the God of Israel, the true religion. It's the twisted interpretation and use it's put to by very blind leaders. Okay? And Israel had blind guides. Remember what Jesus, Jesus called them blind guides. Remember that? And remember he said simply, if, if you follow a blind guide, if you're blind and you follow a blind guide, you're both going to end up in the ditch. Right. Well, these blind leaders had set up a, a bunch of laws beyond the commandments, and they basically had this assumption at that time. Okay? If you had anything wrong with you physically or mentally, if you were blind, if you couldn't speak, if you couldn't hear, if you had a disease, if you had a skin disease, if you had any kind of thing going on with you, um, you were unclean and you were separated out from the people in any way possible. They didn't want you on the temple mount. They didn't want you in the precincts. You had to stay to yourselves because this meant if you had some sort of disability, it meant to them, not to the God of Israel, not to true religion, but to them, it meant that you were somehow defective, that you had sinned in some way, and you were paying for your evilness or your parents. Maybe they did something offensive, and now you're paying the price. That's how they considered this blind man. But there was some good to be gained from this because guess what? That blind man could be an occasion for a religious act that you could do. And if you did it, you'd win favor with people. You would, pay, you would win favor with God. What a deal. Here's that religious act. You were to, according to the leaders, whenever you saw a beggar, you were to put a coin in their lap, his or her lap. Whenever you saw somebody with a disability, you would give to them. And you'd do it in public, and you'd let people see you do it. Why? Because that was a religious act that the leaders taught that if you did it, it would up your reputation in God's eyes. He would favor you greatly, and the people will honor you. What a deal. Isn't that great? Do you understand that this is the 501st year of the Reformation? You know the Reformation was much about that. The Reformation was about the return of the gospel, the scriptures, in people's own tongue, so they could actually read it themselves and learn. The Reformation was all about restoring the gospel and true religion, you need to know these things because true religion and true Christianity is not advice at the bottom. It's not advice. It's good news. And if you are in this room this morning, imagine that Christianity is all about doing good things and behaving good and keeping your nose clean, you haven't heard authentic Christianity. It's not good advice. Advice will follow from Christianity, but primarily it's good news. What do we mean by good news? Well, here's what happened. We have a blind crowd. We have a blind group of disciples. 
We have a man that's blind. But Jesus doesn't consider him an it. Jesus didn't inaugurate this religious, pious act of publicly giving him a coin or, or money, therefore making you more favorable to God. But we need to learn this. We need to be reformed. We need to have reformations over and over again because remember how the Protestant Reformation started. The leaders of Rome, who were the leaders of the power brokers of the church and the state, they needed to build Vatican Square. They needed to build their gorgeous cathedrals all over Rome and Italy and Europe. How'd they get the money for it? They had a great deal for you. If you put enough money into the church, they considered that and told you that that meant that would be less time than you that your soul would spend in purgatory, that you could actually buy salvation from God. Remember that horrible little verse that went around that was so popular? When a coin in the coffer rings, another soul from purgatory springs. What a deal. <laughs> Total blindness. The church needed reform desperately. The people need to hear the, the Bible in their own language. Your prayer book that we're worshiping and we actively use in this church is a fruit of the Reformation. And we need further reforming in this church and elsewhere. We need reform. We need saving in this world. Because if this is still a world where Jews can be slaughtered at worship, if this is a world where Christians can be slaughtered at worship, if this is a world where we have to bury another officer, as we do today, Pharaoh, Turner, then this world is terribly wrong. And we're terribly blind and we need sight, deep sight. So here's what I have to offer. It's what Jesus has to offer. Good news. Bartimaeus. How many people, I want you to thought experiment, how many people have you helped, have you given to, have you seen on the street, have you done something for? I know a lot of us are helping out in Conway and we'll continue to do that. Bless you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You're helping school children everywhere. We're doing, there's so much wonderful things. I want to ask you, do you know a name? And you might say, well, I mean, I'm, I, you know, I'm just, I'm giving, that's great. I, I'm just asking, do you know a name? Do you know them? Do you know that they have wants and needs like you? Do you know that they have crushing disappointments like you and me? Um, Jesus knew that man. He wasn't an it. He wasn't a means to an end. And so the whole parade stops as he yells and cries desperately for Jesus to pay attention to him. It stops, and then they said, hey, he's calling you. The crowd, you don't understand this, and I didn't either. In the Greek, when it says that the crowd rebuked him, told him to be quiet, that's really not what they said. I can't repeat what they said in public. But it was basically, shut up. And Jesus stops it all, and he says, call him. And all of a sudden, this blind man walks up. And do you know Jesus said, asked the very same question that he asked James and John, and he meant it just like he did with James and John? You know what he asked them? And meant it. What do you want me to do for you? And so he goes to Bartimaeus, and he says, what do you want me to do for you? Gives Bartimaeus the same dignity as his own disciple. Prime <coughs> beggar. And Bartimaeus does not want to be a prime minister. He's not asking even for a pay raise. He's not asking for anything other than, I just want to see. He's being really honest with him. So he's just crying out and said, you know what? I need healing. I'm not well. Please help me. Have mercy on me, son of David. And Jesus looks at him and smiles and says, your faith has made you well. Imagine giving 
that man such dignity. Jesus didn't say to this blind man, now seeing, he didn't say, well, glad you joined up with the right side. I hope you'll give. I hope you'll support this ministry, which is very important. I hope you'll watch us on TV. We'll be, let me give you a, in fact, let me give you a guest itinerary where we'll be showing up next. He didn't say that. He said, your faith, your trust in me. And he said this on purpose out to the crowd so they will hear it. The crowd that treated him like an it for all of his life. He said, Bartimaeus, your faith has made you well. Go your way. Do you notice that Bartimaeus didn't go his own way afterwards? Do you notice that he was so grateful for what Jesus had given him miraculously that Bartimaeus didn't sink back and disappear into the crowd? He didn't go home. It says he walked then along with Jesus along the way. He followed Jesus along the way. He wasn't his own anymore. He said, I belong to this parade. I belong to this man. Isn't it amazing? It's good news. And the good news for you and me this morning is that you and I are blind deeply. We are deaf to God's call. We often imagine that if we can do enough or say the right prayer or say it in the right way, if only we can have good enough church attendance or if we at least appear to be religious, then God will be pleased. And everything will be okay. But guess what? That's not the way it works. And if you think so, you're blind. You need to understand that the whole message of Christianity is not that you have done enough to earn God's favor. Here's great news. And you can see it in the Isaiah reading. The Isaiah reading is a court drama. You don't see this because we didn't give you the background. It's a court drama that Isaiah saw, a vision. And before all this, he, we read... Israel, and by proxy, the world, humanity, is brought into the court of God, the eternal court of God. And the prosecutors have read out charges against Israel. And by the time we catch up to the vision, God the judge stands up and he surveys the crowd. And he marvels. Why? Because there was no one, there was no human being worthy enough to intercede for Israel. They were guilty as charged and sentence had to be given. And so it says, in essence, God decided to do something. And this is the miracle that we celebrate this morning. God himself decided to come down from the, from the judge's seat, take off his robes, clothe himself with a human body, fully God, fully human. And he would pass judgment and take the punishment himself for a wicked and rebellious and foolish and blind humanity. And it's not theoretical. It happened in 33 AD. Jesus, fully God and fully human, stepped forward and saying, and told, and told him why he came. I came to die. And more than that, he also lived in your place. He offered a perfect life. He loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. His neighbor as himself perfectly. No mixed motives. No lies. No deceit. And he offers that in your place. A perfect life lived in your place that you and I won't live. Can't live. Because we're blind. And then he dies the death that you and I deserve. 
on the cross. You see, James and John didn't realize it, but what they were asking for to be on his right and left when he entered his glory, they were asking to be on the cross, on the left and right of Jesus, on themselves impaled on a cross. Thankfully, they didn't have to. Jesus did that in their place. He did it in your place. And so here's the good news. When the heck will you get the good news? All that is great news. It's the best news ever. But I'm going to give you a charge this morning personally because none of this is theoretical and none of this is general. He knows each one of you by name. He knows you better than you know yourself. And I want you to hear what Bartimaeus heard that day. I don't care what you're dealing with. I don't care how crushed you are. I want you to hear this because it's directed to you individually and you need to hear it. Take heart. Get up. He's calling you. He calls you by name. This is not something that you can do and get away from. Nobody can do it for you. Maybe when you're a baby, we can take promises for you. But after that, after you grow up, you have to do this yourself. You have to respond yourself personally. David, get up. Anna, get up. Susan, get up. Luke, get up. Take heart. He's calling you. So come to the table this morning. Get up. Take heart. Drink in. Eat in deep sight. And because you're not your own anymore, follow him along the way, knowing that he has done everything on your behalf. And he welcomes you into a kingdom of great surprise, of great wonder, of great glory. Get up. He's calling you. Amen.